Well, welcome again to, to all of you, and welcome to those of you who are watching with us online today. So today is our seventh and final Sunday in our series of sermons on the Sabbath. And so, since it's the seventh Sunday, I had a thought. Maybe I won't prepare a sermon. We can just sit for 20 minutes in silence. Okay, sounds good. No. Pastors can't do that. <clears throat> we like to prepare sermons. And today, we save the best for last. The last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, given to his beloved friend, the Apostle John. Hear God's word from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seventh, seven churches. So notice John, who is on this island, this prison island, because of his faith in Jesus, in a time of intense persecution in the Roman Empire. And on the Lord's day, it says he was in the spirit. Now John was Jewish, a Messianic Jew, the beloved disciple, he's called in scripture, the author of the Gospel of John and the co-author of this vision that the Spirit told him to write down for the seven churches. In other words, seven in the Bible is the number of completion. It's a, a vision for the church of Jesus Christ, big C. And he, was moved, he had moved his Sabbath observance to the Lord's Day, Sunday, which is also known as Resurrection Day. And during worship, he was caught up in the Spirit and had this amazing vision that we call the Book of Revelation. So be careful. Worship is dangerous. You might have a vision. Now, when we started this series of sermons on the Sabbath, I showed you this picture of an Andean condor. Remember that? This is the bird that can soar for up to 100 miles without flapping its wings. Simply by skillfully using the wind currents that are often there high in the Andes mountain. And John was doing the same thing, keeping Sabbath, soaring in the wind of the Spirit. And God gave him this vision. Today I have a, a new bird, bird to show you. This is a peregrine falcon. This falcon is found in Yosemite National Park. And I want to help you this morning to see Yosemite from 
his vantage point. Now, I love Yosemite. We grew up just a little over three hours, and my parents took us there as often as we could convince them. And some of my fondest memories are backpacking with a group of friends every summer, every August, from First Presbyterian Church of Santa Cruz. And we had a wonderful multi-generational backpacking trip, and we brought burrows along for those who couldn't carry the backpack. But I was, that's when I was in my 20s, so I loved carrying my backpack and going into the high country every summer. And when our kids came along, as often as we could, we would take them to Yosemite National Park. Yosemite is a vast space in God's creation, over a thousand square miles of alpine peaks, forests of huge sequoia trees, waterfalls that drop thousands of feet. They will be incredible this year with all the snow that has come. It has massive granite domes that rise over the valleys and meadows below. And its size and magnific magnificence make it impossible to see or experience the whole place from one perspective. In fact, Yosemite is best known from many different vantage points that each unveil a different part of the whole. The trail to Yosemite Falls provides stunning views of the second largest waterfall on Earth. The meadow below El Capitan provides an unparalleled vista of a single cliff that rises up for more than half a mile. Tuolumne's high mountain meadows and granite domes and lakes provide a very different perspective than anything seen on the valley floor. But each of these, in spite of their grandeur, only give you a little taste of the thousand square miles that is Yosemite. But there's a few places where you can have a greater vantage point, vistas that provide an uncommon view into the vast expanse of the park. This is the view coming out of the Wawona Tunnel with the whole of the Yosemite Valley before you. Bridal Veil Falls on the right and Half Dome on the left. Or maybe you're standing looking out from Glacier Point. Below you, it's a 3,000-foot sheer drop to the valley floor. I've never seen this one. This is from the top of Half Dome. The high country stretches out as far as you can see into the distance. Now from these three unique vistas in Yosemite, you can see and grasp and experience the whole in ways that are simply not possible from other views. They don't reveal the entirety of Yosemite. They don't render other views worthless or invalid, but these vantages, these three, provide a larger view more holistic, inclusive, and far-reaching than any other. You can see more of the whole and connect the various parts in ways the, it's, that other views do not. Now, why am I talking about Yosemite? This is not a nature lecture, is it? I think this is an amazing analogy for the Sabbath. 
It is through the unique vista of the Sabbath that we see a greater breadth and unity across the whole of Scripture that allows us to see more clearly its larger, more holistic message. At creation, God ceases from his work, and he invites the whole of creation, especially us, into a community of rest with him. And here at the end of the Bible, in John's unique vision of the new heaven and new earth, we see in his imagination that our eternal future will be a joyful Sabbath rest in fellowship with our Creator and Redeemer. As we end our series today and prepare to enter Lent this Wednesday in our annual Ash Wednesday services at noon and seven, the question might still linger in your mind and heart. Why in the 21st century should we take something so seemingly arcane as Sabbath seriously. It's not an original idea to me or to our preaching team. There is a, we think, a movement of God's spirit across the whole of the church to recover Sabbath in this day. In our own denomination, ECO, our theology task force has been working for the last 24 months on a document that we commissioned them to write, a new theology document. When they started, I and many others thought they were gonna write a new confession of faith for the 21st century. And that's what we were expecting. And instead, in their times of prayer and discussion and writing and reflection, they have produced last month a document called Sabbath. And in that Sabbath document, you can read their description of Yosemite National Park. It's not my idea, although the pictures were my idea. Thank you, Keir Jealous, for getting them in the slideshow. But in this new theology document, there are at least three compelling reasons to recover Sabbath for our time. And you can read this on our website, on our Sabbath page. I put my copy in the Welcome Center if you want to touch it and see the notes that I wrote on it. But it's there. Don't take it. That's mine. But here, let me just read to you some excerpts from this document. First, is the simple and obvious fact that we are a restless people. Our lives and thus our culture are characterized by a frenzied busyness that touches every part of life. Relationships with God and between one another are stripped of meaning as we flit from person to person, task to task. Our phones once affixed to the walls of our homes filling our lives with endless streams of calls, text, instant messages, social media posts, and news flashes, pulling upon our attention like gravity and taking control of our time. Hours spent in the car, at work or school, shopping, laundry, dishes, and a thousand other tasks fill our minutes so much that it is even hard to find time for a full night's sleep. We are a restless people 
outpaced, worn out, spread thin, distracted, and desperately in need of genuine transformative rest and a lifestyle built upon it. Second, and more importantly, is the undeniable fact that Sabbath holds a uniquely prominent place in Scripture. It is one of the Ten Commandments which requires that we see it as a necessary and vital element of Christian faith and life. But it is its recurrence across Scripture, the su surprising prominence given this commandment over others, and its role as a defining sign of being God's people that only affirms and deepens its importance. The Sabbath is given as the means by which Israel experiences God's providential care and demonstrates by their obedience their trust in this care. Thus, it is the primary means by which all the other commandments are fulfilled. Where the Sabbath life is embraced and lived, idolatry disappears, injustice fades, and righteousness thrives as lives submit to God's reign and purpose. Indeed, no other command is more defining of God's will and work or more revealing of whether or not these have been appropriately grasped, received, and followed by God's people. Third, and building upon this, the Sabbath commandment reflects the theological and ethical truths at the center of faith for God's people. For the Sabbath is much more than a command. It is an understanding, attitude, and perspective shaping our whole response to God. It's a sign of kingdom reality which we enter and experience in our taking up of Sabbath life. For the Sabbath unveils with rare clarity God's purpose and intent for human life, the shape and look he desires it to take, and how this might be obediently pursued and actually entered. A bold claim to be sure, but one we believe is repeatedly affirmed by both scripture and the central principles of our theological tradition. From the setting apart of the seventh day in the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of the Bible in John's Revelation, from the covenant promises given Israel through Abraham and Moses to the new covenant given in Jesus, from Israel's redemption from Egypt to our redemption of sin at the cross, we find Sabbath themes unfolding, swirling, and manifesting. It is difficult to think of a great theme or promise in Scripture that is not entwined, shaped, or touched in some way by the Sabbath life and its implications. This is tremendously valuable and needed in our day. And as we come to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, we learn that Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the eternal word of God with no beginning, but who exists from everlasting to everlasting. He is before all things, and through him all things came to be. In love, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created human beings after his own image, in his own likeness, that we might be covenant partners, 
living under his perfect reign and endless care, ever giving him thanks, honoring him as king, and simply enjoying him. Entering time, God gave himself to us and invited us to rest with him and have this rest and relationship transform our labor, which follows. Here God reigns completely. Here we rest, live, and work beside him under his constant care and provision. We believe the gift of Sabbath is not only a source of renewal to the church, but also a message of hope for the world. Being intimately tied to every promise of the gospel, it provides a fresh and inspiring view into the heart of all God has done for us and an incomparable way to proclaim the gospel in ways that are fresh, hope-filled, and relevant to our frenetic and busy age. That is just a taste of this incredible piece of theological reflection that is a gift to our church and to the church Catholic. Here's how the Apostle John brings this magnificent vision to a close. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And then, verse, then chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation, of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. In Revelation, John gives us a remarkable vision of our eternal home. The place of endless Sabbath rest. And we can taste this, as Kelsey so beautifully put it last week, each and every week. And why wouldn't we, she asked us. Why wouldn't we? So Sabbath is far more than a command. It's an invitation by our creator and redeemer to enter into his very presence, to soar on the wind of the spirit each and every day for the rest of our lives. So Grace Commons, whatever is standing in your way, I charge you to push through it. We are about to enter into the season of Lent a time in our church calendar of reflection, 
of deeper discipleship. And we've given you a rich feast of things to reflect on and to encourage one another with. So whatever's blocking you from the practice of Sabbath, find a way around it. Ask for help. We're gonna give you some opportunities in our Sabbath meals in the month of March to gather with other believers. I think we're gonna even have childcare. No. Oh, they're gonna run around and maybe some grandparents are gonna help you. I'll be there. I'll take grandparent duty. I miss my grandchildren. Sabbath meals are a small way we're trying to help. So take advantage next month as we gather on Thursday evenings for a meal together. There's more information on, web, on our website. There are a number of books on the website which I encourage you to look at. One that is going to be on our website, uh, it's not there yet, is a book by John Kessler called The Radical Pursuit of Rest, Escaping the Productivity Trap. Let me just read you a short excerpt from this book to whet your appetite. John's picture of the new heavens and new earth also speaks in terms we already know. There is a city there and a river. There are trees and people. There may even be animals. Perhaps I will see my little pup again after all. I hope so. By carefully attending to the Bible's peculiar vision, I get a glimpse of what final rest will be like. It shows me that there will be some continuity between this world and the next. There will also be significant differences. The new world will be a realm of light without need for any lamp or sun. It will be a world without tears. In the world to come, there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. It will be a world where the old order of things has passed away along with the curse. This is a world without evil, one from which Satan and all who serve him have been banished forever. It is a world where the rupture between heaven and earth will finally be healed. God's dwelling will be with us. It is a world where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for John's vision. A vision that continues to speak to us across the centuries. A vision sent to a church that was persecuted in ways that we can only imagine. A vision of their eternal life, the end of suffering, and the beginning of joy. And so, Heavenly Father, invite us, each of us, in your own unique way, to craft time, precious time, with you. May our wings soar like the Andean condor and the falcon of Yosemite in your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. 
that we might find our rest in your great Sabbath. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite Lindsay to come forward and a special guest. So our final testimony this morning is our friend Jeff Gagliardi. And by way of introduction, just want to share a few things about him if you don't yet know him. Uh, Jeff met his beautiful wife, Nancy, um, a long time ago in Boulder. They've been married uh, 45 years. They have um, four grandchildren currently and are expecting their fifth in April. How exciting. Jeff and Nancy became covenant partners at Grace Commons just last year after more than 30 years of faithful service in a variety of roles and places, but mainly Hillside, with many others here who worship. So delighted for that influence here in our church. But they had lots of involvement over the years through Fishy and Club and the Annex and Nancy with Doorways. So they've had a long history with us as well. Before retirement, Jeff made his living as an illustrator and a graphic designer at Exabyte. And some of his early extracurricular artistic endeavors have been featured in galleries and museums across the country. And one fun highlight that he will never get away from, in the late 70s, Jeff became known as one of the first artists, even before the movie Elf, uh, to create fine art on an Etch-a-Sketch. Take a look at this. <laughs> I think he didn't want me to share that fun fact, but I just couldn't help myself. Can you believe it? So exciting. This well, is proof that God has a sense of humor sometimes in the gifts he gives us. There Amen. you go. That's great. Well, Jeff, it has been so great to spend time with you and also Nancy in preparation for this. So let's just take a seat and sort of dive in as we talk about Sabbath. Tell me a little bit, why, why did you start practicing Sabbath? Well, I was raised in a very traditional uh, religious environment, and quite frankly, Sabbath rest was anything but. I mean, it was an obligation. It was something, that as, a, as a kid, I never really truly liked at all, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I love Saturday much more than Sundays. Uh, but then when I came to the Lord, really in faith, later on in life, uh, I didn't bother with the Sabbath, and the reason really was because I just, well, you know, I, I, I've been purchased by grace uh, through faith and all of that, and I just thought I didn't need to observe these things that, that seemed to be a burden to me. Uh, but the Lord really spoke to me one time in a very powerful way. Uh, my parents were about to celebrate their 50th anniversary. Is back in 1992, and my sister and I were wanting to give them a very lavish party, which required a lot of work. Uh, this meant going back, a driving trip to New York City, where I'm from, uh, with the whole family, so back and forth driving, but more than that, all the preparations, all the planning, etc. it required a lot of money, which we didn't have. We were just a newly married couple with three young kids. Uh, I was fortunate to have a job that paid overtime, and my boss was great at giving me as much overtime as I needed. So I was working and working and working, and I'm working myself silly. I really was. And I was exhausted. And one of the worst parts of all of that was that everything seemed to be going wrong. That the moment we'd put a few more dollars together, something would happen. The water heater would go out. Uh, we needed car repairs. Whatever it was, it was just happening like that. And one morning, here I am getting up for work yet again, exhausted, 
And I took some prayer time and I said, Lord, uh, why is this happening like this? Uh, isn't honor your father and mother? I'm mean, supposed to be what I'm supposed to do. It's a good thing I'm trying to do here. Please help us. And as I opened the scriptures that morning, I happened to be on Psalm 127. And verse 2 jumped off the page at me. It said, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That just hit me right between the eyes. I mean, I'll never forget how I felt at that moment. But the next verse says, for he gives his beloved sleep. He gives us rest. And I realized that at that moment, God was telling me, Jeff, I've got this. Why are you just bouncing around like a madman? It will happen. Trust me. And so for me, personally, trust was a big element in like, no, am I really trusting him that I could even take some time off? And so I told Nancy, I said, you know what, we're going to take some time. And sure enough, as we took the time to, exact, to really observe days of rest in the Lord, with the Lord, it came together, and it came together beautifully. And in fact, the whole event was one of the most precious days of our lives. So somehow it all works out, and God was really in it. So do you consider that sort of your Sabbath reset? Yes, big, big time. time. Yeah, so what does it look like now? I know you both are retired. Mm -hmm. So how does Sabbath work for you? Uh, when you're retired, it's different. You know, uh, when uh, Emily shared a few weeks back about being a young parent, we could really relate to that. I went, how did we ever get through this? You know, with the, trying to set aside 24 minutes, let alone 24 hours to find a Sabbath time. Uh, but, you know, being retired, I think, has more, well, different challenges. Uh, for instance, it could be said, well, we got lots of time. You know, I could take Sabbath. I'm, I'm resting all the time. Why do I need to rest? when really my whole life is, you know, could be rest. It's not a big deal. And, you know, it's not bad to take little rests throughout the week. We try to do that, spend time uh, in the Lord with each other, and then just, it's a wonderful time. But it doesn't take away from the, the wonderful aspect of the discipline, the discipling of taking that time to set it apart. We could think we don't need it or shouldn't do it, but it's, I think it's really vitally important even in retirement, to make that time. Um, there's something about coming together as, as a congregation in that. So, for instance, for us, uh, it's coming here. This is an act of worship. Just showing up is an act of worship. And the very thing I kind of hated as a kid, I tried to, <laughs> I tried to espouse now, which is the, the, the discipline, the discipling of being there, showing up. Uh, and I, I'd say that too to everybody watching from the comfort of their homes. You know, sometimes we can't make it here personally. But it's not a substitute for fellowship. And it's not a substitute for coming together. We have, um, we have learned that lesson that, uh, with all due respect to our pastors, sometimes the, the thing you'll get most might be the fellowship you're having. I, I got to speak with some brothers this morning. I had a wonderful time, and it really fed me. And guess what? God may use you to feed others. So I think that discipline of Sunday, let's say, is important in doing that. And, but the main thing, the main thing overarching all is attitude. Just simply resting is not it. 
If that were the case, anybody that's in a coma is practicing Sabbath rest. <laughs> so it's our, it's our mindset, it's our attitude. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. I mean, Randy really brought that home this morning. This who, it is who and what we're looking forward to by inviting God in to our lives consciously. Oh man, that's, that is Sabbath rest. So that's so good. That's what I would so say. as someone who's been practicing it for a while on your own, unprovoked by us or, <laughs> <laughs> or common space groups or something, I love that. Uh, what benefits would you attribute um, have come or fruit as a result of you making this part of your life? Well, well as others have shared, obviously refreshment and rest, uh, renewal, maybe a, a spiritual uh, peace that, that from Christ that would come from that. Uh, but you know, as, as I thought about this question, a really interesting thing is Nancy and I talked about it. it, it actually has really blessed our marriage and our marriage relationship. And here's why. As we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And by inviting Him consciously into our moments, but specifically a real time for that, we found that we were growing closer together and that we were knitting closer together. Um, you mentioned we're married 45 years. It was a few years back that a, a friend of ours was getting married and she asked us, you know, you guys have a good marriage and uh, yeah, by the grace of God, we do. And she says, so what's the secret? And I said, well, we're still in love. And she went, oh. <laughs> and I said, yeah, Nancy's in love with Jesus and so am I. But you, and it's really remarkably true, and it seems simplistic, but I can't help but see, it's been my experience, that if two people are honestly seeking after Christ in their lives every day together, they cannot help but come together as they do that. It may sound simplistic, but it's really, it's really true. So many nuggets. Thank oh. you, Jeff. So for those who have yet to start their practice of Sabbath, or those who maybe have tried and given up already, uh, what <laughs> encouragement would you give to us? Uh, I think the other testimonies we've had have been great. The, uh, and you know what? We can see them online. In fact, when you asked me to do this, I wanted to hear what, uh, remind myself of what other people had said. Um, I, would, I, I would say only adding, uh, adding this to that that of everything we've been hearing for the last few weeks, and uh, it was uh, Kelsey that, that really focused it well this last week, and now, of course, Randy today. This is a down payment, almost a glimpse of what awaits us. Why wouldn't we want to embrace that? Uh, C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And of all the things that, uh, that, we can, that we can experience and see, of all the wonderful things, in the, in the, even in that the children's book, of all the things that we have to look forward to, it's Christ himself. We have, excuse me for getting, <laughs> obviously, I love this. Um, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. There is no greater joy. There is no greater thing we could ever look forward to. Uh, in, in, in bringing up Hebrews 4 last week, uh, Kelsey, that, that, whole, that whole chapter has to do with the idea that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. 
He's the embodiment of that, just as he is the word of God, just as he is truth, just as he is life, all those things. He is the Sabbath. We are hardwired. We are actually designed for this purpose, that we would be with him. And that is the greatest joy, the greatest thing we could have. But we could have it now, a down payment on that. And I just love that idea. Um, I just want to close with this, this last thought. It's been my experience, and it's in the Scripture plainly, that anyone who truly comes in contact with Jesus Christ in their lives is never the same again. And we are designed for this purpose. It's beautiful. And that's all I got to say. It's about so that. good. I think there's actually a lot more, but for today, we'll do that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.